Well, today, we're right in between series. We just finished up the last series, partner with us. We're heading into a new one next week. And so I love to kind of revert back to our theme for this year, which is the year of prayer here at First Baptist Church. And so we're going to talk about uh, prayer and mountain-moving prayer. And so let me read to you a verse out of Mark eleven twenty-four. If you have your Bibles, if you want to open up to that, and I'll get into the context of that all, but let me just give you what Jesus says here in this one verse. He says, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it, and it will be yours. All right, let's talk about that. Because does that really work? And what are you talking about here, Pastor Brad? Is this a name it and claim it kind of thing? And uh, I, 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 mean, I mean, did Jesus really say that and say it in that way? Did Mark, I mean, was all the wax out of Mark's ears when, when he recorded that one? Did he hear that correctly? Is that really what Jesus meant? What, what's kind of going on here? Okay, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 11. And let me give you some background information for this verse. Because we need to really look at this in a larger context. Let me give you kind of the discovery channel kind of information that maybe we don't always have. Let me take you back to first century Palestine and give you a historical perspective to put this in the context. And then once we learn exactly what Jesus said and why he said it and how he said it, I hope that it will radically change and affect your life and how you believe and how you pray to your father. Okay? The Gospel of Mark tells us that the day before Jesus says these words is Palm Sunday, or what we know as Palm Sunday, when Jesus came in Jerusalem riding on a donkey. So you see in verses 9 and 10, the people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then verse 11 gives an interesting foreshadowing. Jesus is looking for an audience for what he's about to do, but he walks in and sees that it's late at night, and so he decides, not yet. Now's not the time. And so he goes back home to where he's staying in Bethany, wakes up the next day, heads back to Jerusalem, and on his way in, sees breakfast on a fig tree. Fig Newtons, perhaps, right? Right? But the tree isn't producing fruit. And so Jesus says in verse 14, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Well, odd, huh? Well, perhaps, but it gets even stranger. Because then he heads into Jerusalem, straight for the temple, and and now at this time of the day, it is bustling with activity. There are people, in fact, one million people were thought to come through this area of the world at this time to the temple. Some would visit, some would offer offer sacrifices, all of them would spend some sort of money, which really gave rise to a a touristic kind of economy that was taking place. Tourism to see what was taking place and making their journey there to the temple. In fact, Here's what's going on that's not really discussed or known. In Jesus' day, Herod is giving the temple a massive facelift. He's giving it an overhaul. And so he's using some 18,000 construction workers to do the work. 
historians also tell us that there's some 18,000 priests that are employed at the temple. And so, now remember, a million people are coming to and from this place. And the temple is being used as a bank because it is also thought to be the most secure place that you could have your money. So it's interesting to know because Jerusalem doesn't, isn't set on any sort of a river or a, or a port, much like we have here in Stockton for trade routes. Um, it's not on any sort of a trade route. So the temple is what makes it very significant. And without the temple, it would have just been like a little hick town, um, you know, kind of like Manteca without Bass Pro Shop, okay? Let, let, let's think in that way, okay? Why would you go to there, okay? <laughs> okay. Forgive me if you're from Antica, all right? Okay? Okay? But, but, but the people are coming through here to go to the temple. Now watch this. Because wherever you have power and money, many times you're going to have corruption. And in Jesus' day, there was a temple leader by the name of Annas. And he was in control of what we would kind of call the temple mafia. And they controlled who was employed at the temple. And they controlled how much people would pay the offering to the temple. And they controlled the converting of the money into temple money. And it was a racket because every time money exchanged hands, a little bit of money found its way into the temple mafia's pockets. And they had so much control that no one dared to take them on, ever, until Jesus does. So that's the historical context behind what Jesus is going to do now. In Mark chapter 11, let's jump into the story in verse 15. They came to Jerusalem, it says, and he entered the temple, this is Jesus, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the table of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. So he's saying, this is not operating like a house of prayer. And my house, uh, my house is not open to everyone. It is not open to all nations. Gentiles were not even allowed into the inner courts of this place. Women were not allowed into the inner courts. The Jewish men were only allowed if they paid a temple tax or a temple fee. In fact, here's a picture of a stone that was found from this era that was uncovered by archaeologists. And here's what this stone said that was there at the Temple Mount. It says, no foreigner is to enter within the enclosure around the temple area. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. Not very seeker sensitive, I might say, is it? The religious leaders had created this barrier between the people and God. And so Jesus strategically picks the busiest of times to say, this has got to go. To which the religious leaders said, nah, no, Jesus, you have to go. We no longer want you here. In fact, Jesus, 
The moment he picked up that whip, and we understand that Jesus picked up a whip and went through the temple from John's gospel. The moment Jesus picked up that whip, he was signing his own death warrant. And Jesus knew it, and the people knew it as well. And by the end of that week, Jesus was dead. But he didn't stay dead, did he, First Baptist Church? Uh Uh-uh, no way. But that's another story. That's the story. But we'll talk about that more in just a bit, and we'll talk about that more over the course of this year, because we build on that story that Jesus did not stay dead. Yes, they killed him for three days, but he is alive and well. And so let me back up into the story. The next morning, verse 20 tells us that Jesus and his disciples are going along the road from Jerusalem again. And they see the same fig tree that Jesus had cursed the day before, and it is now withered. And so the disciples are asking, uh, Jesus, what, what's up with this? I mean, this tree was beautiful, it was leafy yesterday, and today it is withered and it's dead. They were like, what's going on? I mean, you know, by the way, does anybody feel sorry for this little tree, right? I mean, it's kind of like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree now. It's just dead and drooping. Well, here's what's going on. This isn't Jesus, you know, his hunger taking over him, you know, like he didn't have breakfast type of thing, or he wasn't walking in, guys, hey, sorry, didn't have my coffee this morning, got a little upset at that. That's not what was taking place. The fig tree is an object lesson for the religious leader's system of the day saying they should be fruitful, and they're not. They look good on the outside, but they are rotten on the inside. They should be fruitful, but they're doing nothing. They should be feeding the people, but they're feeding no one. And don't feel real sorry for the little tree, because verse 13 tells us that it wasn't in season, but it was in leaf. And what that shows is that it was looking like it was supposed to produce, but it wasn't, much like the religious leaders were looking like they should be good leaders. They were looking like they were doing things right, which probably ticked off Jesus even more because one of the biggest problems he had was the hypocrisy of people who would say one thing and do something else. And so it's in this context that Jesus has another one of those come to Jesus moments and he brings his, his, his disciples around him and he gives them this teaching on figs and mountains. Standing outside the city, possibly looking back over the temple mount. Here's what he says. He says, your prayers can move that mountain. Which is very interesting because the temple shook. It literally moved within a few days upon the death of Jesus. And upon that death of Jesus, it also opened up the access that every nation, all nations have to God the Father. Now Jews and Gentiles can come to know him. Now men and women can come to know him. And so Jesus, on just this opportune time, has given the people access to God. And he's talking about this. He's saying, your prayers can move mountains. And then Jesus does something that he doesn't have to do. He says, you have that same mountain-moving prayer in your prayers. You have that same mountain-moving power that you can pray in your prayers. Look at what he says in verse 22 and 23, following the story. 
after the fig tree, and he gave him this little lesson here, verse 22 of chapter 11. It says, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what, that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for And where does that come from? That comes from the power in prayer. Verse 24, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. I mean, that's really what this year of prayer is about, even here at First Baptist Church. Do you believe? Do you believe in the power of prayer and that prayer is effective? Do you believe that prayer can change things? I mean, at the beginning of this year, none of us had even any idea that we would have an opportunity even to purchase the Scottish Rite property territory. We we, we had no idea. But I know people are praying for that. I know people have been praying for years and years and years and years for that opportunity. And so let me just pose a few questions to you, okay? You have them on your outline. You can write them in. It's on the blank lines. But let me see where you're at in all of this, okay? First question is this. Do you believe God still moves mountains? Do you believe that God still moves mountains? Do you believe he is still in the mountain-moving business? It says there in verse 24, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, in prayer. I, I mean, I know, I constantly I hear people saying, I've been praying, I've been praying for the Scottish Rite, I've been praying for that property, for that territory, and actually this last week, their realtor came to us and kind of on the side said, um, uh, do you guys have, you guys must have some connections over there with the Scottish Rite, because this is not the way that I would anticipated this to go. Everything was kind of stacked against you guys even getting to the place of possibly purchasing this. And we kind of thought, uh, yeah, we have major connections. <laughs> it's God. It, 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 and you cannot battle against what he may want and what he may desire for us. And God, if, if God is for it, who can be against it? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, I'm not saying that this is all going to come about. I'm simply saying that God has been opening and opening and opening doors and opening doors. And now us, we need to continue to pray and say, God, before next Sunday, what are you laying upon our hearts? God, what do you want? Are are we believing that he is still a mountain-moving God in the mountain-moving business? In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives an interesting talk about prayer. And he says this in verse 11. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. He's using a little analogy here between God giving us blessings and God blessing us and fathers who want to bless their children. You who are evil, if you still know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Now, that does not mean, please hear me on this, folks. That does not mean that we get anything we ask for. It does not mean that whatever request we give, God's going to give that to us. That is not at all what that means. In fact, I see some requirements even when God blesses his children. First of all, it's that we will be his children, that we are his children. And so to come before God and to pray to him as your father only happens when you're a child of God, when you've accepted Christ into your life as Lord and Savior. 
Also, verse 25 in this passage talks about don't come to him with a grudge. Don't come needing forgiveness. You take that forgiveness and you get forgiven. You work that over with whoever you've offended. And then you come to your father. You can ask him for forgiveness there. But take care of whatever issues you have in your life. So don't come in the state of prayer if you have, uh, have wronged somebody and you need forgiveness. There's also the thought, and this is just as you go through scriptures and you see this, that we can't pray a prayer of selfish motives. That's, that's not a prayer that God's going to answer for us, not in selfish motives. We also see that it needs to be a prayer that is for the good of God's kingdom. So to just go out of here and say, hey, I got verse 24, and it's, it says whatever I pray is going to happen. No, 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 please do not hear that. You pray a powerful prayer when you're a child of God, and when you have been forgiven, and when you don't have a wrong against someone, when you come to God with that prayer, and when you're not praying out of power, uh, selfish motives, and when that prayer that you are praying is not for your glory, but it's for God's glory that you pray it. That's when we see some mountain-moving prayers take place and happen. In fact, would you just write this in the margin uh, somewhere on that first point? Let me summarize what I just said there. I must still surrender, get this now, I must still surrender to God's perfect will. Okay, write that down somewhere there. I want you to know that. I must still surrender to God's perfect will. A little bit like the perfect prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? When he was praying, oh, don't make me go to the cross, Father. Father, I do not want to go there. However, it's not about my will, but it's yours. In fact, look at that verse out of verse 36 of Mark chapter 14 where it says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. I mean, look how this affected the Apostle Paul's life as well. He, he'd been given a thorn in the flesh, Remember Paul, he thought he had it all together, was one of those religious leaders that Jesus was speaking out against, and he was changed radically in that road to Damascus. And now he, maybe he was thinking, well, then why am I still afflicted? Why am I still suffering things? And he prayed over and over for this to be removed. In fact, look what it says. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, that I shouldn't have this, this weakness or this thorn in this flesh I have. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, okay, if that's what it is, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In other words, there are times when God does not move the mountain as we believe he should move the mountain. But God is still moving the mountain that he wants removed in your life because he is still accomplishing something in your life. You may not see it right here and now, but it's being removed. God is working whatever situation you out, uh, uh, out if you let him, to his glory and to his strength for you so that you may rely more upon him. And so that 2,000 years later, we read these words from a super giant. And realize, okay, not everything is going to fall into place exactly how I may want it, but it's according to how God would want it to happen for me so that he can receive the glory and the power in the midst of all that. Paul was given supernatural power that glorified God even more because he had to rely upon God 
in the midst of this. In fact, let me give you a little story about how this happens sometimes in, in lives and in the lives of churches. Uh, Grace Baptist Church was built in 1973 in a town called King, Kingtown Mountain in uh, Tennessee. And just before, days before their sanctuary was going to be opened, the local building instruct, inspector from the city informed the pastor of the church that the parking lot, of all things, was inadequate for the size of their sanctuary. He said, unless you double the size of your parking lot, that they wouldn't be able to use the new sanctuary. Unfortunately, the church had already used up every inch of their land except for the mountain, which was right behind the church, to build their sanctuary on. And in order for them to build more parking spaces, they would literally have to move that mountain. Well, the next Sunday, the pastor stood up in the pulpit. And he explained to the church this situation. And he also taught out of the passage that I'm teaching out of here today. And so he comes to the people and he says this. He says, if you believe that God is still able to move mountains, come on Wednesday night to pray with me that God will move this mountain in the back of our church so that we can build this parking lot. Three days later, 24 people come to meet with the pastor. 24 people out of the several hundred members showed up to see if they could enter into a great time of prayer, mountain-moving type of prayer. Now, before you think that this is just an urban legend, you can look this up actually online, and they've published a little brochure that talks exactly about how this story happened for them in 1973. It's a great testimony to God, because let me explain what is written up in that brochure. The next morning... The phone rings, and it's the phone company. They said, we're planning to erect a new building just east of the church, and we need landfill for a large swampy area, and we're wondering if you have any dirt. The church says, of course we do. And as it turns out, the dirt was in the right proportions of clay and of sand and of rock that they needed for the landfill. And in about a month, the phone company had hauled away the hill of dirt, um, and they had even paid the church to haul that hill of dirt away. They had leveled the ground and the required parking lot, and they prepared it for the paving of that parking lot. And the church was dedicated as originally planned, and incidentally, hear this, there were far more members with mountain-moving faith on opening Sunday than there were praying just a few weeks before that. And so here's my point. Not that, oh, God did that amazing mountain-moving kind of deed, which is incredible, but my point is actually this. First Baptist, would you have been one of the ones at the prayer time? Would you have come to say, God, we're not sure how this is going to happen, but we know you're a mountain-moving God. Just 24 showed up. Would you have been some of the ones who had stayed away? I would hope not. I would hope we'd be people who would come. And even as we pray for the Scottish Rite, even as I have continued to tell you, this is not my decision, this is our decision that we come into. As God would affirm this or not, 
I pray that you are a congregation who is praying, that you are a congregation who is fasting, and I pray that if you're a member here at the church and when you vote even next Sunday night, that you would not, have, you would not vote until you have prayed, until you have fasted, to say, God, what would you lay upon my heart? What direction are you leading us? Because, God, you are a mountain-moving God. In fact, would you say that with me? God still moves mountains. Say that. God still moves mountains. Say it one more time. God still moves mountains. Second question let me give you. It's on the back of your outline. If God could move one mountain in my life, what would it be? If God could move one mountain personally in my life, what would it be? Maybe it would be salvation for a friend Maybe salvation for a family member. We have numerous people in our congregation today who prayed for their spouse for years. And it is with joy to see them now sitting together, many of them whose spouses came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are one of those people who are still praying for a spouse or for a family member or for a child or even a grandchild now, co-worker, keep praying. Keep praying. Our God is still a mountain-moving God. Maybe it's financial struggles that you're going through. You're really dealing with them. Maybe you've made some unwise decisions, but now you're trying to get it right. Maybe it's a physical illness. I've prayed with numerous people today already for physical ailments that they have in their life. What about anxiety issues? I I prayed with a little seven-year-old kid here at the end of the 8 o'clock service who says, I have anxiety issues in my life. I prayed with him, and I looked up, and he said, oh, that feels much better. He said it just like that. That feels much better. Such childlike faith. But coming down to pray for that, just pray. Maybe it's a relationship issue that you're going through with someone, and you're struggling with some sort of an issue. In fact, on your outline, would you just write your mountain that you are experiencing in your life if you would so choose, and I know, you know, if there's someone who might see that there, just put the initials or something like that, or if that mountain is sitting right next to you, just elbow them like that, you know, something like that. Say, quit looking at my paper. I, I don't know what it was, but maybe put just a, just a symbol or, a, or initials or whatever it may be. That would say, here's the mountain that I'm praying for right now. What would that mountain be in your life? As we always offer at the end of our services, I'll be down here in the front. You can come during our worship time, and you can pray and come to the altar just to give up that mountain in your life. Because God wants to take a hold of it. God wants to do something. We may not know what he may do, but we know God still moves mountains. In fact, would you say that with me? Say it with me. God still moves mountains. All right. Third question I want to pose to you is this. Am I focused on the mountain, or am I focused on the mountain-moving God? Am I focused on the mountain, or am I focused on my mountain-moving God? Because when we are right up against the mountain, it is easy to lose sight of the mountain-moving God that is right behind it or right above it. You back away, you gain perspective, and you see how big your God is, and you realize this is not about me, but it's about God. This is not about me and what I want. God, this is about you. And understand this, First Baptist. Please hear this. Your job is not to move the mountain. Please don't put that on yourself. Your job is not to move the mountain. It's to turn to God, and he decides what happens next. 
that takes care of a lot of of the anxiety and the stress in our lives. When we realize, God, this is not about me, this is not about what I'm supposed to do, but this is about you and what you do with it. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 19, 26, with God, all things are possible. Now, some of you might say, all right, Pastor, I just, I just don't have that kind of faith. Man, I, I'm just not there. You know what? Jesus anticipates that when he says this. And get a hold of this. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, look at what he says. He says to them, because of your little faith, truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of, what's the word there, of what? A mustard seed. You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Now, let me help clarify something that's on your outline. Some of you have seen that outline, and on the bottom of it, you'll see that there's that little tiny yellow dot there, huh? And some of you have been trying to flick that thing off your paper. You're like, what's going on there? You think it was like a little termite turd or something on a copy machine, right? Like, what's that doing there? Get, get that off there. What, what, is, what is that? That's a mustard seed. That's how small a mustard seed is. And that's what kind of faith we need. That's what, see, see, Jesus is really bringing out a contrast here. He's saying, you don't need mountain-moving faith. You need tiny, minuscule faith in God's great power. That's what you need. You need that faith in God's power. Our faith needs to be in God, not in the object of the situation that we're praying for. And so I hope that you would just take this and put this somewhere where you will see this often this week. And that you would say, God, I'm going to pray in great faith as being one of your children, as not holding a grudge, as not praying selfishly, as wanting to pray for your will to be done on this earth. I'm going to pray in great faith for you to move mountains. That may be mountains for my church. That may be mountains for my own personal life. That may be mountains for someone else who I'm praying for, but God, you are still a mountain-moving God. And perhaps God will change the circumstances, but perhaps he will also change you. Someone came up to me after the 8 o'clock service, and they said, Pastor, I think I'm the mountain. Okay? Then maybe God needs to... Sometimes he changes the situation, and sometimes he changes the saint. I don't know what that may be in your life, but I do know this. It may come all at once. It may come very slowly. It may not even come in our timing. It may not even be how we thought it would be done. But God still moves mountains. In fact, would you say that with me? God still moves mountains. Say it one more time. God still moves mountains. You believe that? Let's pray. God, we come to you as the mountain-moving God. And we come to you with uh, mountains in our lives. Mountains that now we have maybe a little greater context for. God, maybe we have created some of these mountains. 
Maybe we um, have been outside of your will and causing some issues and some problems in our lives. But Lord, maybe we have been walking in your way and can't understand why this mountain has not gone away. But God, we, we, we don't focus on the mountain. Today we focus upon the mountain-moving God. And tomorrow as we wake up, we will again, I pray, focus on the mountain-moving God. God, when our, glance, when our glaze and our glance goes back towards the mountain, may it revert back to you. And may you be the one to give us that comfort and that peace to know that you got this. God, may we be a congregation who believes in a mountain-moving God. May we be a congregation that knows that you're like a loving father, so wanting to step into whatever situation may be ailing us. And God, may we be a congregation that does not focus on the mountain, but focuses on the mountain-moving God, and that's you. So Lord, what are you doing with us? What are you doing in us personally? What are you doing in us as a church? God, we want to lean in and listen. We want to hear your voice. We want to be your children. We want to walk in your ways. And God, I thank you for where you have First Baptist Church. For you have her positioned right where you want her. Making us dependent upon you every step of the way. Listening as we hear your voice speak guiding and directing us. Lord, may we never feel like we have this, but we always will know that you, you are in charge, you are in control. And Lord, we pray the same for our lives. And so folks, this morning, would you just pray that prayer that only you can pray in your heart that would give that mountain over. You know, for some of you, um, if you're honest, you'll say, you know, I'm not sure I have a relationship with this God. I I'm not sure I can call him Father. Today, that's your mountain. And so today, as you have heard about Jesus and his teaching to his disciples, and as you have heard about how he wants his Father in heaven to be your Father as well, and as you've heard about how he went to the cross so long ago, along that holy week, just after this Palm Sunday time, and as you've heard about how he did not stay in that tomb, but he rose again to new life, maybe today would be the day that you would say, God, I, uh, I'm ready today to bow the knee to you. I have been the mountain long enough. I have made issues of my life. Lord, I, I, I need to ask for forgiveness of the sin in my heart and in my life. And so today, just by the power of God's Spirit working in you, if you would just say those words, Lord Jesus, I ask for forgiveness today, and today by great faith. Faith as small as a mustard seed, I place my faith in you. And today I call you Lord and Savior. Today I choose to follow you. Today I repent of my ways, and today I choose to follow your ways. Come into my life. I pray to receive you if that's your very prayer today, know that Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has entered now into your heart.
and he's making you a new person. You're now one of his children. And I would be most honored if after this service you come and share with me that prayer that you have just prayed or the person who brought you here today would love to pray with you or to talk with you more or take you out to our Next Step Center which can give you some information that will just help you take your next step now because now you've said yes to him. Now you've said yes to being a part of his family and now you can watch as God begins to move mountains in your life. God, we want to be those kind of people. And I know I'm before hundreds and hundreds of people right now, even listening online, that you, many of you, so many of you have already prayed that prayer. You're walking with the Lord. I just want to encourage you, whatever mountains you may have, to continue to give those over to the Lord. And to be praying for those mountains to be removed out of other people's lives as well. We have a mountain-moving God. God, we submit to you. Even now, as we continue to worship and praise, and then as we leave this place, um, Lord, I pray that we would be mindful of that. With whatever we do this week, that you are active, that you are involved, that you are not just in this worship center, Lord. You are in our lives, and you are moving and guiding and directing. We will submit to your will. And it's within that that we walk, and it's within that that we worship. For we love you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.